Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. Everyone knows what a sneeze does, but the no-maskers 
like the no vaxxers. <laughs> can't believe these people. Um, yeah. they, they don't think that they spread disease, but they themselves don't spread it. Yeah, it's just crazy. But watch that Mythbusters. It, it shows you. It scares you. And they, and Grant and the guys saved lives, too. Once they showed the proper way to how to get out of an un, a car turned upside down when you're inside, crash a car and it goes upside down in the water, how to get out of it safely. Well, well they did a lot of things like that. You know, they did a fireworks show to show you exactly... If you're holding one little firework, how many fingers you will lose. If you're holding a cherry bomb, how how much of your hand all the way up to your elbow you will lose. I mean, they did all kinds of shows that um, that were warnings to stupid people. If you're um, using gasoline and think you're going to make some kind of a bomb, usually you burn yourself up. You know, they, they did some great shows. Yeah, and he was one of the more friendlier seeming guys of the bunch. Yeah. He was the last of the original crew to come in. They had a a different host the first two seasons, Scotty, but then she left and Grant come in. Yeah, but needless to say, he was a great addition to the show. And his his death is a is a just a huge tragedy. You know, the show's not playing anymore, but his his contributions in other ways to other shows, to other things that he was involved in is gonna be it's gonna be missed. And the one thing that really has impressed me is that all the testimonials of the people that I know who have come out and said, Yeah, I knew him yeah, this is the way he was. I mean, he's it's a loss to humanity. And that's it's sad. Plus, we do we really need to lose another science guy right now when we need him so badly? Yeah. And now on to subject. Well, this is not a new subject worrying about the end of the world. It started well, even back then. Even way, way, way back then, 1911, we'll get into the alien stuff next week. This week is nuke and post-nuke. When the bomb dropped and the famous quote, we are Shiva, the bringer of death, was spoken, everything changed. Right. Everything changed. It was... um... Oh, the amount of bullshit that you had to put up when you was a kid was outstanding. Well, we did the the duck and cover stuff from from yeah, kindergarten. Yeah, that's what I mean. Just duck yeah. and cover under your desk, and you'll be all right. Well, none of us, even as little tiny kids, you know, they used to show us nothing oh god if if they showed the things that they showed us back in first and second third grade fourth grade all the way up to sixth grade today oh those social emotional people would be just they'd be suing us they'd be 
screaming, oh, you're traumatizing kids. Well, we saw those, um, what nuclear bomb blasts would do to, well, did out in the deserts of uh, New Mexico and Nevada. They showed it to us. So we would get right yeah. under our desks as soon as, you know, the, the sirens went. And, yeah, drills with sirens. <laughs> None of this stuff there was were... this little movie from the early 50s that a Japanese filmmaker made that used a different kind of cover to show the effects of radiation burns and radiation on people. You know what oh, that yeah, little film those. was called? Was called Vicky. What was that one? Godzilla. <laughs> well, for real in Chernobyl, the uh, radiation changed the earthworms and made them grow something like five hundred times their re- normal size. Yeah. And so, so Godzilla was a was a scary proposition, but come on, <laughs> who knows what would have happened if we would have kept doing those tests in the ocean? Holy well, a lot cow. of the better new movies that we're going to be talking about tonight are use that as well. Mary Poppins put it the best: spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Right. You know, yeah, let's take a big rubber monster, but use it to educate people on what the real effects of the nuclear bomb is. You know, for a lot of kids and a lot of adults over here, this is their first time seeing the true effects. Well, I remember, you know, I can't remember a time, of course, in my life that I haven't been afraid of nuclear annihilation. Seriously, I, when I was a young adult, I wasn't going to have babies because I was absolutely convinced that through the Cold War we were going to annihilate ourselves. And so I didn't have babies till I was 28 years old because, um, you know, the Berlin Wall was coming down in, in the 90s and, um, you know, I felt safer, but for for 25 years of my life, I just thought. And then there's, of course, the films out that showed all these horrible things happening, plus all the science fiction like Godzilla. Listen, yeah. a lot of you out there understand exactly what I'm saying. You're as old as me or you're not as old as me and you've heard stories about what we had to go through. Yeah, I mean, they really started it, but you never really did get things. They were like, one of the first, like, murder my sweet. You remember that, the one uh, with uh, Mike Hammer that talks about the big Watsit and pretty much ends with a nuclear explosion? Right, right. Well, a lot, you know... There were a lot of films, a lot of stories told, like uh, anthology stories told, where the very last thing was the nuclear bomb going off. Yeah. 
It's like uh, Doctor Strangelove was one inch from being a sci-fi movie. Did you know that? It was, well, what was it listed as? A drama? It was a black comedy. What happened was, is do you know, remember at the first of the movie where it has the narration? Yeah. Originally it was supposed to be like, uh, I forget who wrote the short story, where the aliens land on Earth and they find this movie and they're trying to figure out what happened to us. And so they watch this movie, which happens to be the last hours of Man on Earth. Which is Dr. Strangelove? Yeah. Wow. But Kubrick well, cut it, cut out that beginning at the first, but he left that narration at the first. Still, Dr. Strangelove is a warning. I know it's a comedy, but comedy drama. It's yeah. just... And it is kind of science fiction because even though it wasn't... The bomb wasn't fiction back then. I don't know. All I know is that it's scary. It's yeah, funny. Definitely. Oh, hell yeah, it's it's funny, but it's scary. What about, um, I'm trying to think of this one, Failsafe, the one um, where. Yeah, that was a serious version. Nowadays, imagine yeah. if a president did that, uh, blew up a part of the U.S. to stop war with Russia over one of our planes screwing up and nuking a part of Russia. How would we react over here? Oh, that would never happen these days. Might have happened back then. But, you know, that's kind of every time I I read, pull out my my graphic novel of Watchmen, think about um, Dr. Manhattan and Ozymandias and and the whole idea of uh, stopping the world from destroying itself by... Destroying yeah. a small portion. I mean, that's a necessary that's kind of lie. An, yeah, it's kind of an old idea, but we can really take it to the brink of complete destruction. Yeah. But the first time I saw Failsafe, man, <laughs> that scared me. I was just a kid, though. Just a kid. Don't forget, one of your favorite movies deals with it, too. Which one? The day the earth stood still. Well, you know, um, that's that was the whole reason why uh, Klaatu came down to Earth, was the nuclear nonsense. I think he, he referred to it as something like um, nuclear nonsense or atomic nonsense, because... Yeah. Uh, the world, as long as we did it to ourselves, you know, in the original movie, the, as long as we did it to ourselves, they weren't too concerned. They were going to be sad about it. But if they put them in orbit, 
where somebody else could sweep up a bomb, that's what they were concerned about. And if we did that, the robots were going to come and take us over. Yeah. So they gave, they well, gave us wipe a, a choice. Well, just wipe us off the planet and stop everything. <laughs> well, I think that that idea was the Keanu Reeves one. That one but don't still. exist. <laughs> oh, I watch it every once in a while. See why? <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> what did they? they uh, anyway, yeah, it doesn't exist. <laughs> but one of the most realistic ones, and the one that. This is from, I think, 50s or 60s, I forget. Well, it's probably in 50s, 60s. And this one destroyed me the first time I seen it. I was crying at the end of it, and that's on the beach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That movie still make you cry today. This is a warning to people. It's not an easy film to watch. Yeah, that was um, definitely, I don't know. It's it's sad, and it's scary, and it's reflective. And I think that people who saw it once and never watched it again, it was too scary to reflect upon. Yeah, what it's about is the bombs have been dropped, and the only last safe place is Australia. But then they get the word that the winds are changing, and the radioactive fallout and clouds are coming to Australia, and pretty much it's the end of the world. And it's about how these people deal with it. Right. It makes you think, what do you want to do? Do you want to go in the initial blast? Or do you want to, um, you know, linger and think about that we killed ourselves? Yeah. And it has one of Anthony Perkins' best performances in it. Oh, yeah, it absolutely does. Outside of Psycho, if that's all you know him as. It's a hard-to-watch film, but I would definitely recommend anyone to watch it. It's great. Well, look at it. It has Gregory Peck, Ava Gardner, Fred Astaire. Gregory Peck, Fred Astaire. I mean, that is, uh, those are some heavy hitters from back then. And they're really trying to get people to think about what it actually means to go to war with these weapons. So maybe everyone should watch it. Yeah, the last shot of the movie is of a banner, and it says, There is still time, brother. You know, um, that was a 1959 film. And then uh, in 1960, The Time Machine came out. And the time machine also had um, the depiction of nuclear annihilation yeah. and what happens to humanity after. 
And that's not a pretty picture either. No. It's still great. That's another great movie. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love that little touch on On the Beach where it says, there is still time, brother, rather than there's still time. Trying to get us to see that we're all in it together. Yeah, we're all, yeah. Yeah. And really, we all are in this. We need to take care of each other. That's right. That's why half of these or 90% of these movies were made, trying to get that idea across, especially the early ones. You know, for the first 40 years of, of nuclear apocalypse thinking, most of the movies were about this is what could happen. It's a very real threat. So we need to work together to stop it. Not so yeah. much. I, I don't think that's the way it is anymore. I don't think anyone even believes it, especially not the young people. That's why they need to watch these films. Of all films, they need to watch these films. Definitely. And there's Panic with the Year Zero with Ray Milland and Frankie Avalon, which you may not think be good, but it's a nasty little piece of work, too. Right. If you say Frankie Avalon, you think of the beach movies. But in my opinion, Frankie Avalon was, um, was because he did so many beach movies, he was um, not looked at as a fine actor. But I thought he was a, a really good actor. And Ray Milan, of course. He's scary. When he gets intense, like you better listen to that guy yeah this one is a nuclear movie without being a nuclear movie you don't see the bomb but they sort of say it and they're trying to escape the cities and all that and then they find out how feral and mean humanity gets once it gets to the gun and it will be all these alpha Alpha male motherfuckers out there with their guns. Oh, yeah. I mean, just look at the way things are right now. I got really scared when the whole thing in Michigan was happening because that's the alpha male, you know, survivor-type ideas in their heads, although they acted like babies. That's the scary part of of living after the disaster. Yeah. I mean, we're living in there, and this all happened this, and we're living in a time where someone in a Verizon store was told to wear a mask, so she pissed on the floor. That's just, oh, look at this go You take away my cellulite, so I'm going to pee on your floor. Uh, what? What about everybody else's civil rights? You got to go to jail for that. I mean, the, the the law enforcement has to step up. I'm talking about the mayors of the cities. When people are causing such problems, they got to step it up. And that peeing on the floor, look at them. You, you don't know how sick she might be, what the hell she's 
spreading around? That's just disgusting. Or that one couple who pulled out their guns standing on their lawns. We're protecting our civil rights. Then their picture went viral. They're like, we didn't want to be famous. We don't want to make you famous. We want to show how stupid you are so people will avoid you. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, that was a subgenre of the nuclear film is showing the feral male. But we'll get more into that once we get into the post-nuke movies. Right, right. Well, we still have one of the most famous ones of all. Next. What's that? Complete. Planet of the Apes, that's coming up. Oh, God, yeah, just... but that one didn't show up. I would put the second one more into that than the first, because the first one, that doesn't show up to the very, 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 very end. I mean, you can hear the last film's last reel just flopping right. in the projector. You fools, you did it. You bastards, you blew it all up. Right, right. Well, it wasn't, um, you know, the whole thing was the mystery. I liked the mystery through Planet of the Apes, the first film. It's like, what happened? What happened? What happened? How did the humans kill themselves? How did the the apes Well, you're supposed to think that he just went to an alien planet until the last, Oh, even as a kid, I didn't think. I thought it was a time displacement from the very... Because there's that one scene, that one scene at the very beginning where they look at the clock in the spaceship and they see that they have been displaced in time. And so that did not... When I was a kid, I, I saw that and I'm just like, oh... So this is Earth. I never. It was never a real shock to me when I saw the ending. Yeah, but you're smarter than the average bear. Maybe. <laughs> so I'm, just I'm not as smart as a polar bear, bear though. You're supposed to think they're an alien planet, then all of a sudden, dun dun dun! Oh my God, it's Earth. And the second <laughs> one's ending even more cynical. Where, oh, that one. Uh, Charlton Heston's character fights throughout the second act of the movie, he's not in the first, to stop them from hitting the bomb. And then he looks at the apes and these mutants fighting, and he just goes, fuck it. Boom. Right. <laughs> what the? You just sit there with your the jaw human. drops, you're like... Weren't the humans worshipping the bomb? Weren't they like, ooh, the bomb? <laughs> yeah. The bringer of our they society. Were. Ooh, the bomb will save us. It will stop those evil Russians. The bomb. We need more bombs. Oh, man. The Cold War. The Cold War. People laugh at it. They don't have any clue. If you didn't live through it... But you have no clue about the fear that we all lived with every single day. It just never stopped, the fear. All that saber-rattling, the thought. 
with the nuclear bomb yeah. going off. Well, don't forget even how casual they were talking about using. I mean, even in the Andromeda strain, which we'll get into more this week, they was like, there's a virus on the train. What are we going to do? Nuke it. What? Isn't that a bit extreme? <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's, of course, one of the most famous lines from sci-fi ever. I said we go into the... I say we go into orbit and nuke, the, nuke it. Just blow yeah. the whole thing up. Only way to be sure. <laughs> yes, that's such a great, such a great line. There's some. That, that's some wisdom right there, though. I mean, come on. Uh, you carry nukes on a spaceship for a reason. And yeah. I can't think of a better reason than that. <laughs> and don't forget the whole mess in Dark Star starts stalks because a sentient nuclear bomb gets depressed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I would be depressed too if I was a nuclear bomb. <laughs> What's the use? My only job is to go boom and then destroy everything and then I don't remember anything. What's the use of living? Let's just end it now. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> it really does. Because what would, I mean, really, what would a nuclear bomb think if it did get sentient? Once I don't realize know. what its only that. job is. Yeah, just that. It would think that. Would It would be so sad. <laughs> well, maybe it would turn hateful. Hate its creators for making it like uh, feared oh, thing. Another like uh, Colossus. Yes, like like Colossus. Yes. Absolutely. And I think that one really fits because it's too it's too compute it's a computer that controls the nuclear every nuclear bomb. Well, you know, Star Trek, the original series, did a really good um, episode on on that idea because its computer that controlled everything went insane also. It's it's, It's something really to think about. And wasn't it the salt monsters where uh, Roddenberry snuck in the... Nuclear burn imagery. Um. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, nuclear imagery was really one of Bradbury's favorites to use in all his writing, all of it. I mean, uh, what's his name? Who wrote Star Trek? Oh, oh, oh. Sorry. <laughs> Roddenberry. Right. Ro- yeah. Sorry. Sorry, I don't know. See, like I said, my brain's not working. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, I apologize. I love that how they did advance. that in sci-fi. They would sneak it in there. Yes. Well, sometimes back in the '60s, they had to. You know, they have to get. They'd have to get really buddy buddies with the execs to see how smart they were, so they could actually wow. tell the story they wanted to tell. Well, 
Doesn't that um, say something about execs? <laughs> yeah. Heads of studios? <laughs> yeah, and speaking of nuclear films, yeah, you talked about uh, the Chernobyl. We could, there's the, the, the funny story of uh, a China syndrome, which I think I've told the story before, but the first week it came out, that movie bombed. It bombed horribly, if you remember. I don't. I don't remember that it bombed, but I take your word for it. What happened was, in the middle of its first week of failure, Three Mile Island happened. <laughs> I yeah, yeah, I the exact think same I would... week. And then all of a sudden, people are like, "Hey, we got to see this movie now." So it was ahead of its time for about four days. Right. <laughs> Wasn't Jane Fonda in that one in the China, um, the China? Yeah, Syndrome? Jane Fonda, Jack Lemmon, yeah. and Michael Douglas. There you go, what yeah. Was, is that, well, it was pretty much almost the exact same thing as Three My Island, that Jack Lemmon was reporting that he was seeing tremors at the core and that it was unstable, and they wouldn't believe him. Yeah. Yeah, well. the well. first week it was out, the reviews called it implausible, over-the-top, unbelievable, Unbelievable, yeah. Well, and then Three Mile Island happened. Tell inform us what 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 actually happened at Three Mile Island that incident. I you know I don't really know. All I know is that it, they had an uh, uh, a problem with a radiation leak. It actually it was starting for like two weeks. It was getting yeah. worse and worse, and the the people that were reporting to the higher ups saying this is a dangerous situation, um, uh, nobody wanted to listen. Nobody cared to really oversee it until it was too late, and then then there was like a, a small explosion. And radiation yeah. leaked out. What they didn't and, take into account is the shifting Earth, and that they had accidentally put it on a fault line. Well, it's not. And and um, to this day, Three Mile I- Three Mile Island is not cleaned up. It's yeah. closed. It's surrounded in cement. You can't get in there, but it's not cleaned up because it can't be cleaned. It just has to wait time. The earth has to has to reclaim it over time. Yeah. Nine hundred years or something. And after that happened, the China syndrome became the biggest hit there was because people wanted to see the movie that predicted the future. Right. And how scary was it that a film turned from science fiction into science fact? 
in less than in a four week. Days? Yeah. yeah, four days. Right. Well, it stopped all nuclear um, building out here in California. We only have we have one nuclear power plant that is going to run for five more years. And all the other ones have been shut down. But Rancho Seco up at um, near Sacramento, just just south of Sacramento, they were having a few problems. And one Three Mile Island had their accident. Rancho Seco was, was under the microscope. And they closed it down within a couple of years. Rancho they built Seco? more hydro plants. Yeah, that's what it was called, Rancho Seco. That sounds like a Mexican state joint. Well, we're in California. Everything's called Rancho something. <laughs> yeah, but that sounds like a Mexican state joint. Come to Rancho Seco, where we have the finest in beef with the finest Mexican <laughs> seasoning and spices for you. With tacos well, for I your kids, fresh beef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... What if they called it? <laughs> you can, well, they've taken it down. You used to be able, when I used to drive up to Sacramento long ago, I would, it's a, it's kind of a long drive from Fresno. And so as when I saw Rancho Seco, the, the two towers, the cooling towers, you know, I would be, okay, we're almost there. But they, they took those down. They, they did a good job. <laughs> And moving on, well, Cher, there's not too many movies of hers I like. And I think usually when I see her in a movie, I'm thinking like, oh, God, she's a bad actress. Well, for some reason, in Silkwood, she knocked it out of the freaking park. Right, right. And that's another great nuke film. What happened was is Karen Silkwood found out that her plants were having the same kind of accidents as Three Mile Island, and the FBI, and she reported it to the FBI, and they told her to go in and uh, get evidence of it. And she ended up having an accident and being killed off the side of the road. Right. Hmm. You've seen the movie, right? Oh yeah, and yeah, it's a you know it's real. Yes, she worked at a plutonium plant, and um, there was radiation leaking, and she reported it. She's one of the most famous whistleblowers of all, Karen Silkwood. That was when I first knew what a whistleblower was. I didn't know what, I didn't know the term. I was a young adult and uh, I didn't know the term. I didn't know anything about, oh, you know, you can turn in your boss if they're doing something wrong and the government might protect you. Well, they didn't protect her very well. And, uh, um, and so that was, uh, that was an important film. But Kurt it didn't Russell help. Kurt is great in it. Craig T. Nelson is great in it. Pretty much everyone is great in this movie. Well, yeah, of course. 
It was really uh, Meryl Streep in it. Used to be known as a good word, someone who's trying to protect, who's blowing the whistle on bad things. Nowadays, right. it's right. Low, you're you're a low you're a low person if you blow the whistle. And there are people in that nowadays. Well, why don't they tell on Trump? Why don't they tell on him for all the bad things he did? Because we have been trained for school, even in kindergarten. Don't tattle. Don't be a tattletale. Even our exactly. Parents, don't be a snitch. Don't be a snitch. That's huge at at my job. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. That's huge at my job. I mean, but you the, the job, you know, don't be a snitch. Be a team player. Be a team player. You know, help that person work it out. No. Sometimes you really do have to report the dangerous things. But it doesn't usually work. Look what happened. Look what happened to the guy who um who told the truth on Trump and the Ukrainian thing. Um, he he resigned like uh, six weeks ago. He resigned his his commission. And um, anyone who was talking against what Trump did when he let the 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 Serbs just turn around and and uh, or not the Serbs the the Kurds turn their our backs the United States backs on our allies. No. Now whistleblower has that that taint to it. It's hey, all because of this administration. Well, you know, I was sh- I'm not going to say, yeah, look at Oliver North. But I'm not going to say, you know, Obama did Obama had his whistleblower too and he treated him pretty badly. Yeah, but that guy lied his um, ass off. There's a difference. Who Snowden? I'm I I think that Snowden was right. No, when it, the Obama stuff, the information that someone leaked to him, they used his ass. They fucked him. Well, whoever leaked the information to him fucked him, not Obama. Yeah, well, I think that Snowden... You're only as good as your sources. If your sources are a live piece of shit, then you're screwed. True. But look at now. I mean, here's the thing into that. And I think the end of the world is is upon us because of this kind of thing. The other day, Google sent me this thing in my email, my Google Mail, my Gmail, okay, said these are all the locations you have been in the past five years. And I'm like, what? So I opened it up and I looked and cut damn it. I'm telling you, every place that I have been to get gas or um, stop for some food or whatever, over the past five years, everywhere I have traveled in my cars, was right there in front of my face. Yeah, every time you use your debit card, you leave a footprint. We leave so many footprints. No. It's your phone. It's your phone. Oh, yeah, you got Google Maps. Every time I don't use it unless I'm going for, I don't use it. I use the online directional thing. 
no, your phone, your phone, even when it's off, pings yeah. the, the cell tower that you're closest to so that just in case there's an emergency. So your phone is always, if you have a smartphone, this is real. If you have a smartphone, your phone is never off. You turn it off, but it's not off because it has a location finder on it. And it's different yeah. than your GPS, and it's always on. That shit scares me. That's the end of the world. Yeah. And I don't, don't want to Another one that came out in the 80s, which I can't talk about because I don't want to spoil the goddamn thing, is Miracle Mile. You just need to see it. It's fucking great. Well, I think that we skipped a couple, and I just want to... Well, okay, I have ahead. an 80s one. Well, first, I thought maybe I would like to talk about a boy and his dog, because that's post... Are we? Oh, we're not talking about post, are we? Yeah, we're not, not talking yet. about post. Yeah, we're talking about... Okay. Okay, Testament, a 1983 film. Oh, the, yeah, um, 83 was the big year, with the yeah, three it biggest was. titles come out. Testament. Right. The day that after Testament. Heart. Oh, Testament. I cried and I cried and I cried. I couldn't stop crying. Oh, my God. When that little boy dies in his mother's arms, she's dying too, but he dies first. Oh, my God. I still, I've got the chills right now. Yeah, I this is another one where they never where a nuclear bomb goes off and they have to deal with the radiation afterwards. And she has to, tr- and it's about this mother trying to keep her family and new extended family together while they're slowly dying from radiation poisoning. Right. Because that film shows exactly, if you're not in the bomb, if you don't die the be- when they drop, then more than likely, you are going to die that way from radiation poisoning. And it's just going to be horrible. Yeah. Horrible. And that it was, it was done so well. It was not done um, with this, this syrupy type thing, you know. Uh, it was done like another just like... We're going to talk about next. Is... Yeah, we'll talk about that next. But, but yeah, okay. Testament, they tried to get studios to fund it. They wouldn't do it. They nope. tried to get an independent people to finance it. No one would. They said it was unsellable. So they had to go to PBS's American Workshop. I love that, American Workshop. Because the stuff that they always put out was, Intriguing and thoughtful. Yeah. Or not put out that they helped fund because they always funded the things that were necessary. And Testament got a wider showing than it was supposed to because of all the reviews it got from its festival screenings. Well, I didn't see it in the in the movies. I saw it on HBO when it came out about a yeah. year and a half later. 
It had a no, small Tesla one, then it showed on American Playhouse. That's and it. Then I, that's the where HBO. I saw it. Yeah. No, I saw it on American Playhouse. But then we had one the day after. And if you're looking for the oh. worst big three, this one's probably it. This one, um, I actually showed it to, I have it. I actually showed it to uh, my students because we were doing, not my students today. Are you kidding? They would hang me. I'd be fired on the spot. This was a long time ago because we were doing a dystopian um, uh, unit. And so they were very smart kids, and they were very interested because this kind of thing has been suppressed after 9-11. And so the day after was the one I could get a hold of, so I showed that. And and they were my students. These are high school students. um, Were literally shocked because they didn't know that it could be like that. Yeah. And it was so controversial when they came out that after the bomb dropped halfway through the movie, no, they couldn't sell any ads at all because no, no company wanted their product associated right. with that imagery. <laughs> right, and so we saw it all the way through, no commercials. I remember that. Oh, my God. I totally forgot about that. The morning after it was shown, uh, they had all the teachers in almost every school discuss the film with their students and how it impacted them and all that. Yeah, well, I was in college, and uh, we talked about it. We just talked about it, you know, over college. And before we get to the one that I consider the meanest and best of them, there's one that's real heartbreaking. I've only watched once, and I can't watch it again, and that's Where the Wind Breaks. Yeah. um, (laughs) It's like Testament. I've only seen it once. I don't need to see it again. It's about this sweet little old couple who, when the bomb drops, they're far enough away of it, and they follow the government guidelines, like ducking cover and stuff like that, and we have to watch them slowly suffer and die as they wait for government assistance. And it's because they're so sweet and nice that makes it so horrible to watch. Because they believe in what they've been told. Yeah. It's got a great soundtrack from uh, Roger Waters, David Bowie, but still, no. (laughs) Right. It's like... um, 
a movie like that is just, even though the music is great, everything about it is good, it's still, you know, you can only take so much of it before yeah. you know that that's what's going to happen. So you go out and you do your nuclear protest like I used to do. <laughs> yeah, and go to No Nukes, the No Nukes, the concert. <laughs> right, right, right. And go watch Carly Simon and uh, Jackson Brown sing. Hey, I went to many Jackson Brown concerts. Many. <laughs> What's kind of sad is the movie and the album itself for No Nukes is impossible to find due to freaking rights issues. <sighs> there we go. Execs and their money. Yeah, and from what I heard, they had a nice, they have enough footage to do like maybe a six, five to six hour cut of a movie. Wow. Well, just think of, it was a two-day festival. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know. And we got to see a portion of it in the movie. Right, because, you know, um, that's concerts used to be, back when I was going to concerts all the time, a young adult, a teenager and a young adult, um, there were at least, at least you would see three bands. Usually you would see four or five, maybe even six bands in a day. Six bands, one concert ticket. It was freaking awesome. Yeah. Well, when I went to see George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars back in the early 90s, the concert started about 6.40 and ended at midnight. (laughs) Well, those all-day concerts that I went to, um, starting when I was 16, those would start like about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, and in Phoenix, you, you, these are only springtime or fall, not summertime. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it would start sometime in, it would be a local band would come on, then a not-so-popular band would come on, then a semi-popular band would come on, and it would progress to the headliner. But you would see all these different bands, and sometimes those smaller bands turned out to be Big bands a couple of years later, so it was good. Good times, good times. Well, you remember Monterey Pop, don't you? The big stars of that show oh, yeah. were Jefferson Airplane, the Mamas and the Papas, the Who. Right, right. But what three? No, what three little-known people came and just stole that concert and just destroyed everything? Right. Let's see, Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, Otis Redding, and Janis Joplin. Exactly. In fact, Janis Joplin, no one expected anything of her at all. And Monterey Pop was um that was that was her too bad for her what happened to her, but that was her her moment. Her moment. Everyone yeah. knew her after that. My favorite bone of Monterey Pop is Otis Henny 
Otis Redding going down. You got to, I got to have a little tenderness. And then it cuts oh, to this God, guy in the audience. His eyes bugging out and his jaw opening and him just freaking out by the power of Otis Redding singing. <laughs> just killing this guy. Yeah, well, that's a great song. was an anti-nuke concert. That's why it fits. It's a it was an anti-nuke concert. Yeah, I don't know how you would see that these days. How do you hunt something like that down? You gotta know the people who sell it. Bootleg. Oh, okay. But even then, it's hard to find a good copy of it. Right. I'm, but I'm sure. The one that we got was the day after. But the one that we should have gotten was Threads. A movie yes, so Threads. raw and devastating that the BBC wouldn't even play it for two years. <laughs> This one is just brutal, mean, grim, and devastating. It had the balls to tell the thing, to show things that even the day after would be like, hey, whoa, we don't want to go there. Well, that was the BBC. The day after was uh, actually, you know, an ABC movie. So there's yeah. there's your difference right there. Have you ever seen Threads? Yes, I have. Not when it first came out, of course not. No. That one is my no, no. that Much one later. is the most honest one. That one and on the beach are my two favorites in quotes. <laughs> True. I really I, I I agree. I agree. You know, even though a boy and his dog is really science just science fiction based on nuclear war. Yeah. Some of the the things that go on, I mean, the dog's the philosopher in that that whole the story. Yeah. And uh that really had an impact on me because those were the things that I thought of. I think that's when I st- really started reading a lot of Harlan Ellison is because a boy and his dog, yes, it's sexist, yes, it's got things, but it's really matter of fact. This is the way things happen. This is what's going to happen. Uh, I can I can tell you there's going to be roving gangs. There's going to be no food. There's going to be uh, rape. There's going to be all this stuff is going to happen. And I thought that a boy and his dog was a pretty good uh, – Oh, I, I keep. Well, okay. Even though we're, we're talking about, segway, I'm... but to finish it up before we segue into post nuke. Yeah. Let's put it this way: uh, on the beach, broke my heart. Threads kicked me in the balls and punched me in the teeth. Right. There's and no testament. Testament really tears you apart, especially if you're a mom. Yeah. It tears you apart. And Miracle Mile is just so freaking good. 
you need to freaking see this movie, but I can't tell you anything about it. <laughs> Except that it's got uh, the guy who played the main doc in uh, E.R. Anthony Edwards. And, uh, and Mayor Winningham. Mayor Winningham. And they yeah, meet you, so and they're supposed to meet for a date later, but his alarm clock goes off, doesn't go off. So he goes out to meet her, and something happens. And that's all I can say without spoiling I the know, whole movie. I know, I know. I, there's total silence because I'm not going to wreck it for anyone. Now, I Denise was really Crosby shocked by this movie. Great. Everyone is great in this movie. Denise Crosby, right. this is one of the first times i ever seen her in a role where she just totally kicked ass. Yeah. Well. <laughs> it well, yeah. was a very good film. The very good new story. Film. That was around before the bomb happened. Because the Morlocks and the Time Machine was way back in the 1900s. Right. H.G. Wells was a man ahead of his time. Yeah, he had vision. And they were always writing about, you know... The, the, the wars that ended humanity, that blew up humanity. Well, H.G. Wells, you know, he, he... There's all kinds of stories about him. He wanted to be a writer. He wanted to make money. He wanted to support himself, so he wrote these stories. But his his postulations, you know, his, his looking at what he saw in industry, in um, the industrialization of things, of how society was changing, he looked at it and he stretched it out. And he saw, he was such a visionary, he saw how these things could go wrong. That's what. That's why we're still talking about him today, and that's how he could accurately look at what was coming for all of us. Yeah, and that became a pretty big trope in sci-fi. Pretty quick. Yeah. The war that devastated humanity, and then we'd had you could. That's where you went to either the dystopian, utopian, you know. The war devastated right. humanity, so we just abolished war. We abolished this. Right. Well, look at. Um, I know you can take it either way, but what it does, you know, utopian, dystopian, but what it really does is it gives the opportunity to tell the human story. What are you going to do? What's this human going to do when? Everything is taken away, and that the the time machine isn't really that story, but it started that kind of thinking for stories. 
which I love so much. What is that human going to do now that the the house has been blown up or the wildfire has devastated the land? You know? Yeah. But it always struck me funny that the dystopian was more about survival and utopian. Always it seems that most utopian stories, it was about how people can't live in a perfect world. Right. right. I always found that odd. That instead of showing that utopia could be beneficial, it always had that, that kink in the armor. Always that person who's like, well, I don't like it here. I'm just too bored. Or I need to cause mischief or whatever. Yeah. Or that people judge their worth on their suffering. Yeah, that's really, that's what we do today. We do that more today than any other time in my lifetime. Yeah, pull me, pull me. Yeah, all the time. That's all you see in here. But, yeah, you would always see that, you know, from the ruins of a destroyed society. Well, even going back to ancient myths, you would have Atlantis, the utopian perfect society that, depends on which myth you read, got dragged down into the sea. Right, exactly. Exactly. If they were so smart and so perfect, how did their perfect society destroy itself? After the bomb, even after the bomb in the 50s and 60s, we didn't have many post-Newton movies. That was funny. People didn't want to deal with the after effects. Right. Right. Well, it's just so horrifying. Why do you want to why do you want to go pay 5 bucks back then? 5 bucks to go watch what could possibly be your future. Yeah. And so, I mean, the studios made that call. They're like, people aren't going to buy movie tickets to sit there and be depressed. And then drive-in were like, oh, really? And then we got right. films like The Last Woman on Earth. Right. Which is like right. the bomb drops and there's only a man and two women left. Right. The world and the devil. The flesh and the devil. Same story except... One of the two men is Harry Belafonte. <laughs> right. And the, um, Hell in the Pacific, too. Well, it depends on which ending is that one, you see. Right. Oh, God. Well, it depends, yeah, which is your audience. Is it an American audience? <laughs> well, driving audience, we always loved it. I mean, even in the early 70s, we had stuff like, uh, in the 70s, we had stuff like a Death Sport, Death Race 2000, right. which is great. Right. Well, that's, um, Old yeah. Run. Great. 
Or is that another one that doesn't tell that it's a post-nuke society until the very end of the movie? Um, well, it's not quite tor- It's Once they get out there and they find um, their first human, then yeah. then it starts unfolding that it the world actually had destroyed itself. But yeah, that was Logan's run was a huge drive-in. Any human over the age of was it thirty? Yeah, thirty in the book. It was your 29th birthday or your your 30th birthday. You got to live to be 29 on your 30th birthday. You're a goner. Is that the books? Because I remember it was young. It was I think it was 25 in the movie and 30 in the books. Or vice versa. I don't know. I haven't watched still, it in several years. Yes. Still, once you turn 30, you voluntary, you volunteer yourself for extermination. What? Right. But you know, and here's Logan's the thing. job at the first of is to hunt down escapees. Right. And then he because, turns thirty. You know, right, and he doesn't want to die. And he meets the girl who has uh, the ticket to the outside world. She knows that there are people who have escaped, and she convinces him that um, there's there's life after thirty, yeah. and he he goes with her. But, um, you know, when I was like 15, 16, and the Rolling Stones were really super popular, um, Mick Jagger would say it all the time, all the time, about once you're 30, your life is over. Once you're 30, he would, Mick Jagger would actually say things like anyone over 30 should just kill themselves. I mean, he was well, very much into that. Well, don't forget what the who's in my generation. Right, right. Oh, it was, I um, before I get old. Yes, it was a thing back then. It was a definite idea that wasn't just in the movies. It was actually a thing in our society back then. Yeah. And so Logan's Run was scary to me because I saw people with that attitude in in real life. And I always thought, you know, look at my parents. I I want to live to be older than 30. Yeah. I always, and I So Logan's Run and that whole idea of that dystopian world used to scare me a lot. I mean, no one thinks about that these days, but back then in the 60s, people actually thought that, you know, you're over the hill at 35. (laughs) God. And the biggest difference is is in the books, which they didn't do for the movie, there really was a rocket ship, and the ending is Logan and the girl getting a rocket ship, and that's where the second book started. Right. 
But in the movie, they just meet Edward G. Robinson. Yes, and and some other people. Yeah. And they're going to repopulate the world. No, that was the Hollywood ending. Yeah. Well, they go back. They actually, they go back to the big dome place where they all were living. And so, you know, they had to make it more Hollywood. The uh, the original ending for the book doesn't fit with what the studio wanted with the film. Well, the book's ending really isn't an ending. It's just a beginning, and it's like one of those, right. we don't want an ending that... You know, right. we want to thought we want one film and then we're out. We don't believe in sequels. Exactly, because the sequel hadn't been invented yet, really. Star Wars had not, you know, the sequel thing that we're so um, used to now, that hadn't been really invented yet. So it had to be standalone. So they had to make yeah. a completely different ending. Which I guess if you're going to, you know, throw out some kind of dystopian, scary thing and and people really are thinking about, um, people are living in communes back then. People are, I mean, it was a really different time, a totally different feeling in the world back then. Yeah. So Logan's Run actually has that Hollywood ending that people could get behind and and feel good about. And ironically, another film that's pretty decently close to Rogan's run, except that uh, instead of a nuclear bomb, we got overpopulation, and more people know the ending and watch the movie, and they need to watch the movie because the movie's better than the ending. And that's Soylent Green. Right. Well, actually, people don't know because there's a company out there that has made a protein drink, and they call it Soylent. It's like, what? Are you kidding me? They spell it different. They don't have the Y in it. They spell it different, but it's pronounced the same. Freaking Unbelievable. Wink, wink, wink. You can't sue us. It's not spelled the same. Wink, wink, wink. Yeah, mother. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. But still, Soylent Green is one of the very best end-of-the-world dystopian-type films that was uh, made back then. And you know what really the most, one of the saddest scenes in the whole movie is, in which I never see anyone really talk about that much? What? The scene where Charlton Heston's actually eating real corn and real butter with Edward G. Robinson. Right. Well... I don't know what to say. It's just a total, I mean, if you want to choose a, a, a film back 
let's see, it's a 1973 film. If you want to choose a film from the early 70s that really talked about today, it would be that film. Yeah. For one thing, look at all those um, good Republican, good Christian people who stood up and said, my parents should sacrifice themselves and granny and grandpa should sacrifice themselves for the greater good of the economy with the COVID thing, right? Yeah. Isn't that what Charlie Green is all about? If I said that when I was a youngling, my grandma whooped my ass with a switch. I mean, Soiling Green is ju- is exactly about that kind of attitude, and and so and then also the food problem. Look at um, corn now. We produce so much corn in this country that can't be eaten because it goes to energy production. It doesn't have any nutrients in it. That and movie. I consider that stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. And so that movie really speaks to um, 50 years in the future. Now, but in 1979... A group of crazy-ass Aussies got a bunch of whole souped-up cars together and said, I wonder what would happen if I took this car and drove it through this and that and drove about 900 miles an hour down the road. And they created a film that was the series and the film that really was the benchmark for what a post-nuclear, post nuclear film was and that is Mad Max absolutely absolutely but you know what I like is, about go ahead Mad Ma- uh, what I like about Mad Max the very first movie is that that what's happening in that film and that story is on the edge of the complete breakdown of the world. They yeah, still don't the know. Right. They're they're at the edge of it. They still don't know what's happening on the rest of the globe. But their society is breaking down also. Yeah, it's good. It's great. Yeah. And what's funny is through the first 40 minutes of the movie... You don't see Max as a hero. He doesn't do anything heroic. It's Goose that does all the hero stuff and the frustrated, uh, this war, the law sucks. We need to do something about this. Right. Right. And then the person that you think is going to be your hero throughout the movie gets nearly killed. <laughs> Yeah, in a horrible, horrible, horrible way. And even that's not enough to make Max react. That makes him take his kids and just go off into the country and say, screw it. 
Right. He hides. He hides but his then, family. But then it finds him. By accident, of right. course, but it finds him. Max is, um, and his family at that point, is a metaphor. No one sees that. I mean, Miller is so great in his story that you don't even see that Max, he's going to be Mad Max. That's what they called the film. But the whole thing is a metaphor of what's happening for the entire world and that Australia will be the last, will be the last to feel all the effects. Yeah. No matter how far away they are. It's just, it's so great. <laughs> and the whole so story is about Max's entire loss of humanity. Yep. His best friend is killed and his wife and kid. Right. And then he right. becomes an yep. utter psycho during the last third of the movie. That, though, I think is more of a accurate prediction of what's going to happen to humanity and what those who are left behind and have to survive, that's what's going to happen. You can't think about your manners if you're surviving. Yeah. And what most people don't realize, and they've never really gotten, that I've always noticed and we talked about before, Max is not a man of action. He's a man of reaction. Right. 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 He he, he steps back. Goose was the man of action, but look what happened yeah. to him. But still... That's um, when you're thinking about what's going to happen in um, post-apocalyptic, no matter what it is, no matter what it is, those who react are the ones who are probably going to face the worst consequences. Those who step back and wait and look and react, they're probably the ones who are go- going to survive. You know, George, yeah. George Miller used to work in an ER, and he he said that um, – I read a lot about him. And he said that uh, working in an ER, the, the hospital that he worked at was on the edge of um, this very, very long strip of highway. And they would see – Um, car accident victims and see what actually happened to people in car accidents. People never think about this, especially those crazy drivers out there. Um, A car, once it's cracked up, becomes just knives and they just slice through your body. And so he saw this stuff happening to these people and that's what formed his whole idea of the road warrior. Yeah, people don't. And even in the road warrior, the second film, he doesn't, he isn't an action part of the story. He is dragged into the story. 
Right, right. I mean, look at him. In the very first scene that Max is in, he and his dog are surviving. He's looking for gasoline. He has a can of food, meaning that he's a scavenger, and he's, um, he's always on the lookout for the things that he needs. He's a survivor. But everything that happens that, that he does, it's because something happens to him. Yeah. He accidentally falls into the story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He accidentally becomes a hero. Yeah. And here's something I'm learning. Guess who Humongous was supposed to be in the first draft of the script? I don't know. Don't know. Goose. <laughs> Why do you think Humongous has the mask on, the burn scars, and the right. neck brace? That would have been, I wonder who nixed that idea. Because that would be a great Uh, Miller himself. Yeah. Well, that would have been a great plot twist. Maybe that would have um, meant that, well, his story would have had to go off into a different direction. Yeah. Well, if you notice, a lot of Humongous' men were dressed in the leathers of the police. Right. Right, but you can't hold a grudge over that. If it's the end of the world and you're, you are scrounging yourself, I mean, yeah. Max is all decked out in, in leftover police, you know, leather. Yeah. So you can't begrudge people in that kind of situation. And even Which in the doesn't. second film, they don't say what happens. Which is the, is the most awesome part of the whole story. But, yeah, once Mad Max hit the floodgates, just blood burst open, and everybody was making the post-nuke films, the ones with the cars and all that. Right, But right. most of the Italian films had most of the guys in VW Bugs. We had post-nuke <laughs> scavengers and VW Bugs with guns. <laughs> That's so funny. Super funny. But, you know, a vehicle's a vehicle in uh, apocalyptic times. <laughs> yeah. And I've seen a lot of them. That was my taste in the 80s, looking at cars go boom. (laughs) Uh, 2014, after the fall of New York, the New Warriors. Uh, 1990, the Bronx Warriors. uh, The New Gladiators. Atlantis Interceptors. Just a whole lot of trash out there. But it was funny yeah. that Mad Max itself wasn't a hit when it came out because AIP didn't know how to release it. Right, right. They did not. Even when Road Warrior came out, they still it was in the art house here in Fresno. 
They didn't know what kind of film it was. Yeah, Warner Brothers thought that, oh, this film will be an art house film. This will be a success. And then the art house theaters were like, thank you, thank you, thank you. They're like, what? Oh, shit, we shouldn't have said something. <laughs> and they looked and the art houses were having, selling out. <laughs> Every right. screening of the Road Warrior. And the mainstream theaters were blaming the Warner Brothers. Hey, why didn't we get this movie? <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure it went past their desk and they just said no. And that movie was an insane hit. I mean, damn. Anyone, ninety percent of us seen the Road Warrior before we seen Mad Max. A lot of people saw the Road Warrior before Mad Max. Yeah, Warner Brothers didn't even advertise as Mad Max too. Well, I just I can still vividly see in my mind the movie theater marquee right there on uh, Shaw Avenue. Well, actually, I guess it was on Palm Avenue here in Fresno, and it said Road Warrior. I remember driving down the road and just like Road Warrior, the Road Warrior. I gotta go back and see it again. Um, that's what they called it, but no one knew what it was. Because they didn't know how to actually, I don't know. Well, if they didn't know what up the Mad Max release so much that the name was useless. So they just slapped on the Road Warrior title, which was the best call. I think that's a good idea. I think Road Warrior for the second film, actually... The Road Warriors for the first film would have been okay because all those guys were Road Warriors. The police, the the motorcycle guys, all that stuff. It was all centered around it. Well, he becomes myth. Right. He's not called by Max by one person in the entire movie. Right, because the narrator, the narrator of Road Warrior calls him Road Warrior and makes him Yeah, and what's funny was is there was a line in the first film where uh, Max's captain yells at him, we're going to give them their heroes back, by God. And what's funny is that he ends up becoming that, the myth. You know. Right. 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 The, and the third he's, film, he's I like half of it, but the other half I don't like, and I, find, and I understand what's going on, so hey. Right. Well, politics changed for the third one. 
Well, not the politics. What happened is George Miller filmed half of the film, and then his producing partner got killed on the set. So George Miller got so depressed that he didn't film that 40 minutes of the film that had the feral kids in it that just stinks. Yeah, that just... Yeah, that dragged that... The from, right. When well, it got you know, back good That's... Uh, well, when I say politics, that whole part being written and done by somebody else is that was Miller's politics fault of, to depress to work on it after his friend died. Right. So that's the politics of trying to make the movie. It would have been definitely different. And what's funny is I just love it nowadays this is going in the sci-fi post-nuke films are like we need strong women in my, in our movies we didn't have strong women back then I'm like excuse me right y'all wasn't watching action films I was well I let's see Resident Evil movies which are all about uh, the virus. Yeah. The I know we're going to talk about them. From, uh, the Road Warrior? Yeah. Um, yeah, look at the women in Road Warrior. They weren't shrinking violets. And you'd have Yeah, the Warrior and woman just wanted to kill Max's ass from the get go. Right. What are we going to do with him? Let's kill him. What? No, wait. Right. You might say something. No, let's just kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, Auntie Entity. Right. She, um, she is the iconic character, the female who takes over the, the big mother character, who is not like the first time we've ever seen that in film and raises civilization back up again. I know that there was Thunderdome, but you got to, it's just like during the pandemic right now, I, God, I want sports to come back. I want it to come back so badly. Not because I like sports because I don't, and I don't watch it, but these men out here, these men, they need their freaking sports. They need to be distracted by all that pushing and shoving and hitting and biting and, and throwing the ball and hitting the ball. So when you have this Thunderdome thing in this society that's trying to get itself back up, it's a necessary part of what we need to have the civilization. I love Thunderdome up to the Lost in the Desert kids part. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, you know throughout the years how much we love uh, Fury Road. But mm. close out tonight's yeah. episode, 
we're going to go to another. We talked a lot about dystopian. We're going to bring in one of the first. This is from the 50s, and it's the ultimate undone in its proper form book that's had great adaptions of it. And that would be Richard Matheson's I Am Legend. Right, right. Do you think it would ever be possible to do a straight adaption of it, just not any of the bells and whistles in any of the editions? Yeah, I think so. I think it's such a great story. Matheson was such a great storyteller that I just, I mean, Omega Man is close. To it, yeah, we'll get and that's my favorite. Yeah, but, but I think that 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 story could be done just like it's written. You know who would uh, been great in the book, and they proposed it, and he tried to get it made. I thought would have been a great Neville. What? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh. Yeah, they say, but how would anyone see you as someone smart enough to figure out all the stuff that Neville figures in the book? He's not supposed to be smart. I mean, really, if you read the book, Neville is supposed to be your a average man person is puttering around, not a scientist. Right. He's supposed to be you and me caught in this situation because that's really what's going to happen anyway. Yeah. But Matheson was smart enough to know that the story of an average person being caught in the end times is way more uh, interesting than the scientists being caught in the end times. You know, we didn't get that kind of stuff until MacGyver, when MacGyver was really showing how cool it is to know about things so you can get yourself out of these little predicaments. And that's when the... The scientist was popped up. Even though on Gilligan's Island, you know, the professor. (laughs) Yeah. And another big point that Matheson brings up is that the people like anti-entity who are going to get society started again after a big cataclysmic event are going to have to be some hard motherfuckers. Exactly. They are. Because the manners have to... It's just like... When you watch a really good war movie and they say, like, you know, the time for manners is not right now. The time for etiquette is not right now. We have to win this war so we can get our humanity back. That's the same thing with rebuilding a civilization after an apocalypse. Yeah. And and I have never seen a version that really brings in... Except maybe the Vincent Price maybe brings in the ultimate twist well, in the movie is that Neville is the monster in the boogeyman. 
I think. Oh, I think you're right. Okay, I, I was gonna, I was going to defend Omega Man, but no, I think you're right. As in, in the book, the, the twist of the ending is that he turns out to be to them this crazy mother freaking monster that like you know if you don't do your dishes or be good kid. Neville's going to come and stake you to the heart. Right. So by right. the time of the, what happens at the ending when he becomes legend, thus the title, I Am Legend. Right. Right. It is, he realizes that that is the way it should be. Right. I agree. And the first adaption well, we got it was an Italian version called The Last Man on Earth, which man, is good. Yeah. Vincent Price is good, and it has some of the better moments, but they make Neville into a scientist. I don't know why they decided to add that little element. I don't. Have I have no idea. Why do they change that part that uh, Neville's a common man? Why do you think they couldn't in any of these versions? Well, maybe except for the Omega Man. I, Omega Man, in. you know, Charlton Heston, even though he was this big movie star at the time, hit. They really played it as him as every man, you know. He wasn't a scientist. Yeah. He wasn't a doctor. He he put together this whole fortress out of the things that he knew, and he bought and he brought books in so he could read about how to do this and how to do that. I thought it was a very good adaptation. And um, oh, it's a good movie. I love it. I mean, there's so much I love in there. The scene of Charles and Heston driving as fast as he could through the city. Yeah. 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 Him going into the theater and watching Woodstock. (laughs) That was sad. That's the sad part. He was missing humanity so much. But that's what would happen if you were the last man on earth or the last person. Who didn't know how to do anything except rewind and put in a film reel. <laughs> yeah. Well, You're stuck that's the, the average. Oh. Yes, average man. You know, thinking about that and putting that into Max for Mad Max, Mad Max, I mean, Max was the average, just average guy. Hey, this is my job. I'm going to do my job. I got a wife. I got a baby. You know, just I just want to do my job and live my life. I don't want to do any of this other stuff. And uh, you know, Goose was the big, you know, the big talker, the big doer. But what happened was at the end, who who survives the apocalypse? The average guy. Just like Omega Man or I Am Legend. And 
and I do love the ending of Omega Man, even though it's different than the book in a way. Yeah, it is. And Anthony Zerby and the family is closer to what uh, Matherson envisioned for the vampire, the vampires, the second wave of humanity to be. But since it was the early 70s and it was not that close, and it was pretty close to uh, the events of Chilo Drive and Manson, they had to make them Manson-esque characters. Right. Right. Right, I agree. I've talked about it before, but yeah, they do. After Manson hit, almost every bad guy was either a Manson-esque guy or something, you know. Yeah, something, you know, tilted, bloodthirsty, tilted, crazy, insane. Yeah. And we didn't get another adaption of it. And they've been trying throughout the years. I remember there was one in the 80s, the Arnold Schwarzenegger version. There's always been rumors of versions of it popping up. But the next one we got was the Will Smith version, which wasn't that bad. But it was an I Am Legend. No, because I didn't like the ending at all. I didn't like the beginning either. Actually, I there were I was really disappointed in in many of the the decisions they made for their scenes for the way things turned out. You know, I just, I didn't like the beginning. I didn't like the ending. I you know, and he does he takes his car. He had a Mustang. Took his car and drove it fast, and you know, hunted. He hunted down uh, the, which is really close to the book. He hunted down the vampires, and they came after him. But I don't know. There's something about that film that just always sits wrong with me. The director's cuts endings better where it has the vampires. It shows the only reason they're attacking him is to get back the other vampire that he was experimenting on. Right, right. That's what they wanted. Yeah. It doesn't have the full ending where he realize it gets up to the point where he realizes that he's the monster, but it doesn't go all the way because it still shows him driving off into the sunset. Right. Saving the girl Nowadays, and the boy. With Netflix and cable, maybe they can do an accurate adaption of I Am Legend, but they don't have to worry about happy endings and pleasing people. Right. But you never know. The way things are going, even Netflix is probably going to change it uh, the way it does things. Yeah. Tell stories. Out of all the movies that we've watched tonight, besides Mad Max, which one would you recommend people to really watch? Well, if you're going to talk about the the the, are you talking about everything? Because yeah. I would recommend I I would recommend 
for the first part, um, definitely the um, – God, I can't think of it. I would um, – how to how we learn to love the bomb. Dang it, what's the name of that oh, movie? Oh, Dr. Strange Lover, How We Learned to Love yeah. the Bomb. There you go. I always remember the second part of that. Um, I would recommend that. I would recommend Failsafe. They are black and white movies that um, really give you the feeling of what we were living through. Uh, yes, it's a black comedy, but it's telling you the way it is. Failsafe is serious and scary, and people thought those those ways. I would think that um, Testament and Threads, are very good if you really want to see what we were thinking about back then and why nuclear war should never, ever enter anyone's mind as a good idea. We should probably show Trump a couple of those films. Yeah, those films, definitely. And for the post-apocalyptic, I'd say sit down and watch all the Mad Maxes, all of them, all the way through Fury Road. Yeah, and for me, the ones I would add is uh, On the Beach Yep. once, if you can make it. Uh, and then what about Fred. That? that one, what would yes, you say? What about the other? Is that, what is that one that you showed me? Let me get it. Oh, last night. The last night. That one. Yeah, that one don't fit. We'll talk about that a little bit. That is um, a small Canadian movie. It's set on the end of the world where a meteor is about to hit the earth in 24 hours. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. That's next yeah. time, huh? <laughs> well, no, it don't fit in the next time either. It's its own little thing. They, they they did sort of like it in uh, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, but that one was more of a comedy. I didn't like that right. one that much. I didn't like it either. It wasn't enough of a comedy, and it wasn't enough of a drama. It was kind of blah. I don't know. Yeah, now last night, it's a good, sweet, quirky film about the last 24 hours of man on earth and how people deal with it. Yeah, what would you do on your last on your last yeah. night on earth? And so what about the post apocalyptic? Steven, what would you uh, recommend? Definitely uh Mad Max, uh Death Race two thousand, yes, Soylent definitely. Green. Well, I'm surprised you didn't mention that's Omega Man. Oh, I Omega Man had such an impact on me when I was younger. Yeah, Omega Man yeah. is the reason why I actually read the the story. Yeah, but definitely those. Oh, and uh, that. What was that one I seen, Mulholland Drive? No, damn it. Yeah, that's good. One a good with movie. Uh, Anthony Edwards. Oh. What did you just... 
Oh, um, God. The... Let me see if I can find it. Dang it, I can see it in my mind. Yeah, it's... Um, dang it. Um, I'll get it. It's... Nope. Well... Miracle Mile. There you go. It's a weird name for that movie, for a movie like that. Well, it's a weird little movie. You won't expect where it's going. I wasn't. I mean, I was just, I didn't even watch any trailers, no thing about it. I just watched it because it was on pay-per-view. When we had a chipped one, I'm like, first 20 minutes, oh, this is a romance. Oh, it's going to be kind of sweet, kind of quirky. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> There's no better way to put it. It's just, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm not the romantic movie type person, and so I like that film because it was not what I expected. I yeah. was thinking, oh, gosh, I'm going to cringe through whole, half of this movie, but that's not the way it turned out. <laughs> yeah, this. I love the fact that they really don't expect they don't ruin it in the trailers. This is a movie that could be easily ruined. It still well, doesn't have like, cult it deserves nowadays because it's still hard to recommend that film without ruining it. And even if we said right. the plot or what happens, it would sound so insane that you might not want to watch it. Well, that's why you said you don't want to um, say much about it. Yeah, because I just want people to go in cold so they can have that, what the fuck, and then just have it keep barreling, barreling, barreling until the end. Oh, and next week is going to be part two, which is going to be Invaders from the end. From inner space and outer space. You can take that as you want. Yeah, that's going to be fun. That is going to be fun. Oh, and I am in the process. I found them and I need to download and upload them to this site. I found some of the earliest episodes of this ever, including Vicky Love's first episode. You're kidding. No, I'm You're not. You're kidding. Oh, my God. What was it about? It was the most disturbing uh, episode. Yeah? Three. And me and Nate will be back on Wednesday. We don't know exactly what's going on yet, but we'll be on Wednesday. And Saturday, me and Fred are going to do a thing. And probably to close out the month, if I don't get an interview, 
me and Vicky are probably going to redo Rocket Band so we can actually do it right this time. Right. I'll be. I'll look forward to that. Oh, you'll love the movie. It's the. It's good. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. But I was gonna uh, watch it. I'll watch it one of these nights here, real soon. Oh, so I can and be watch ready. the old part on Netflix if you're looking for a good summer popcorn action flick. Watch what? The Old Guard. Oh, The Old Guard is really good. I mean, I have some problems with it, I, but there are plot problems. I like all the actors, and uh, um, but there are plot problems. I, I think that um, there were just some things left out that shouldn't have been left out, okay? Yeah. So, you Charlie, know, they, too much shooting. herself to be one of the best action Action stars out there. Absolutely. She just makes me want more Fury Road. Just that old guard just reminded me of how great she is in Fury Road and how I'd like to see Furiosa in a new movie, which I guess you told me was not going to happen. Well, we are, but not with her. It's going to be her pre-story. Yeah, blah. I don't want, that's not what I want to see. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not what I want to see. So whatever. (laughs) The people with the money make all the decisions. And with that, thank you for listening and good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over.